politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here to fight for freedom anew to those who still care about it. It is Friday, end of the week, but the first day of the month, October 1st, first day of the fiscal year. Well, we have no fiscal sanity, so I guess the fiscal year doesn't matter. But there's nothing new under the sun. This is Big Pharma's world, and we just live in it. It's very apropos for today. I was planning on having a special guest, a new doctor we haven't had on the show, that has saved likely a 1,000 lives with ivermectin, and he has a great story to tell. But how appropriate before we bring him on. I wake up, and the biggest news story of the day is Merck's press release. Now, to begin with, usually the media focuses on, like, cool stuff that's you know, political stuff. We're the ones focusing on these, like, studies and things like that, and very rarely is something like that going to be the top news story of the day. But within minutes of Merck's press release, every single media outlet under the sun, including on the right, was like, look at that Merck case coming out with a drug that's going to get EUA authorization soon. Uh, Outpatient. It cuts death and hospitalization by 50%. Now, first of all, most of the properly constructed studies on ivermectin show better than that, and it's a fraction of the cost and is perfectly safe from four decades, whereas this is new and doesn't have a safety profile, and everything these bastards have created for COVID have caused blood clotting or fertility issues. But, you know, somehow this is like, wow, Merck said! Oh, wow, so you could have 65 independent studies on ivermectin and, or anything else, betadine, nasal rinse, that's garbage. But they get to guard their own hen house, and suddenly that's great. Well, folks, I'm the only one who's going to give you the 2020 vision on an issue like this, and as opposed to other conservative outlets that will just literally eat out of the hand of Merck without any circumspection. So, apropos for today... Our sponsor, Better Spectacles. Folks, I always hated my glasses until I got myself some Ghost Specs lenses from Rodenstock. Rodenstock is the gold standard of eyewear in the world. Over 500 patents, their Ghost Specs lenses are made with an algorithm that includes over a million patients measuring 7,000 points of the eye. They get more energy, no neck strain, and the ability to see up to 40% better. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment so you don't have to go in and wear a mask. You can get it done straight from your home. Then they'll offer you, um, if you go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative, 61% off their Ghost Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Never throw your pair of lenses away again. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So, folks, look, I am all for an outpatient antiviral drug that works. And, heck, our government will probably just buy it out anyway and offer it or have insurance cover it. And insurance then gets you know reimbursed by the government. It's a whole thing's a joke. It's dirty. It stinks. But I'm okay if they're going to spend the money on something that actually works and we'll be over with this. But color me a little skeptical. Now... Look, there's no doubt that Mulprivenair, if I'm pronouncing it right, we've talked about that the last couple of months, 
it has some degree of efficacy, especially when it were, when they're using it. Now, mind you, in the there they had to stop their hospital trial, and I'm gonna have to find that because it bombed. It didn't work. And okay, that's fine. Most things don't. Nothing really does. Ivermectin at least has like 40, 50 percent at late stage, and of course that gets thrown in the toilet. But okay, early outpatients fine. There's no question it's going to have some degree of efficacy. I'm sure they're exaggerating. I'm sure they loaded their study. What other place gets to put out a press release and not show their data? What a joke. What a joke. But my biggest concern is it's not going to be as good as ivermectin. The cost is much more. And mind you, ivermectin can and should be much cheaper. Edenbridge, which makes it, they say they have enough supply to supply the world. But it's the bottleneck of doctors won't prescribe and the big pharmacies that take good RX and insurance won't cover. So what happens now, there's a bottleneck that you have to go to a small mom and pop and then they don't take good RX. Insurance won't cover. And then they'll kind of gouge you a little bit. So, you know, it's more expensive than it should be. This could be basically free. And yes, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to trust the same people that put out remdesivir and didn't work and caused renal failure, put out the clot shots that are going to destroy the world for years to come with God knows what sorts of ailments. And by the way, those ailments are going to be masked as the next virus for them to control us with. We're going to talk about that next week, hopefully with Dr. Finn, Lynn Finn, who is going to come back and talk to us about that. What is their next play now that they're going to come out with antivirals? What's their next play? What, are they done with the vaccine? No, they're going to use the cascading effects of the vaccine to control us and say it's some sort of virus. Um, and there's a lot to talk about with that. But just a brief history. This Merck... There's something very dirty that went on here. A lot of you know Merck dumped on ivermectin because they couldn't make money off of it, and they were preparing this drug. They called it Molprevenir, but what they they got it from UNC, okay, University of North Carolina. They developed two antivirals. One was remdesivir, and one was EIDD twenty eight hundred one, which Merck somehow got a hold of. With and created Molprevenir out of it and just branded it as such. But UNC had both of them. So right off the bat, if this really is a wonder drug, which, by the way, the studies, even the if you believe their study, ivermectin does better. If you believe they're 50%, which I don't necessarily believe it, I think it definitely does have some effects. But guess what? That's an indictment on why they were sitting on it. They were sitting it out from the beginning of the pandemic. Gilead got a hold of remdesivir from UNC, and Merck got a hold of EIDD2801, which is Molprevenir. But why, if this is the better one, why didn't they release this from day one? Why did they go with remdesivir? So that in itself is a very important question that needs to be answered. Another important question is, how did Merck get a hold of this? How did Merck get the rights to this? Okay. Number three, obviously, it's the fox guarding the hen house. Why don't we have an independent? They're saying that 65 studies for ivermectin is not enough. It's amazing. History is a broad spectrum. All the data about it is not enough. Yet, 
somehow you have one study that's put out by the make by the ones that that already bought a 1.2 billion dollar contract with the, with the government really oh there's no there's no conflict of interest there no 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 but my biggest concern is side effects again if this thing will end it look i'd rather an expensive crony drug that saves lives and ends this garbage than nothing but i mean it's dirty as anything but i can't cheerlead with the pom-poms because i don't know about the side effects and, and, and another thing dr finn was telling me today and she'll be on the show next week again there's a reason we don't really have antivirals there's a reason we don't when i say antivirals i mean in a traditional sense not something that in many mechanisms of action will work to thwart a virus we have things like that and certainly ivermectin is one of them we have broad spectrum, you know, off-label, off-patent, repurposed drugs that do seem to work for you know, depending on the virus. But um there's a reason for it. Because antivirals, the reason why we've been at at kind of at, at odds with it, despite all the money, is because Antivirals are kind of like chemotherapy. A mitochondria is a mitochondria. So if it obliterates a virus, it's going to obliterate good cells too, and it's going to cause problems, a.k.a. remdesivir. Remdesivir would probably work early on outpatient. Right? Inpatient doesn't work because you're past the viral stage and you need an anti-inflammatory. It's not anti-inflammatory. Ivermectin has both qualities. But the point is, with remdesivir, the reason why it destroys your liver and kidney is because that's what antivirals kind of do, which is why we've never really cracked the code. So I don't trust Mulprevenir. And there is some history on EIDD2801, some questions about birth defects and things like that. It makes sense. There's a whole history Dr. Finn's going to talk about with AIDS, that all the anti-AIDS stuff that, that Fauci was behind developing and, and, and the cronyism, and it causes all sorts of, of problems, and, and then he lies and says, oh, it's a symptom of AIDS. And really, it's the, it's the drugs that are doing it. Again, I'm all for antivirals, but the problem is that there's a reason they cause problems. The reason why ivermectin is such a miracle is because it's a discovery by accident. Those are always the best things because the reason why we don't do it on purpose, I mean, some things we do, we develop it and right away it's not a problem. But if after a number of years you have trouble, there's a reason for it. Ivermectin is anti-inflammatory and it's antiviral in an indirect way. It has great results, but it's not directly antiviral. She could explain it better than me. But basically, if you under, if you go to my pinned tweet, go to my Twitter account, at armconservative, go, go to my pinned tweet, and you'll see I have the eight mechanisms of action from, from uh, Ryan Cole. One is anti-inflammatory. One's anti-blood uh, clotting. And six of them are antiviral, but in an indirect way. 
the, the, Ryan Cole put it in a great analogy. If the virus is like a zipper, kind of zippering back and forth into your cells, what ivermectin does is like it puts fabric in that zipper. It doesn't kill the zipper. It never kills the thing directly. It's not what ivermectin does. But what it does is it's kind of like if you picture an army advancing, it has multiple mechanisms of action that, one, plug up the cells. So the um, the S2 and the, ACE, and the ACE2 receptors that it can't get in. It's the taxi that it, the, the transportation it uses to get in. It plugs up the holes that it's kind of a defensive mechanism. It defends the cells. And then it, it does certain things that just like kind of like causing quicksand on the advancing army. It doesn't shoot the army, but it, it, it you know, basically half the cells fall in the quicksand, half them can't get in. So then when it can't replicate, it dies. That's kind of how ivermectin works. So when they say, it's not an antiviral, it's antibacterial, but the way it works, it's actually, you could have your cake and eat it too. It, dist- it, it, it blocks the virus and the virus peters out, but in a way that it doesn't work like a traditional antiviral targeting the mitochondria, which will harm, it will cause side effects. Now, if Mulpriven Air cracked that code, God bless them, but you could forgive me that the same entities pushing every damn thing that didn't work and cause terrible side effects, forgive me for being concerned that this causes side effects. I am sure it has some degree of early efficacy, as remdesivir probably does if you use it outpatient. But why are we spending a fortune on something that likely has side effects to the extent we don't know when we have multiple avenues of prophylaxing and treating this much cheaper with things that are known not to cause issues. But it's just amazing. All these, even conservatives, are like, they couldn't care less about the stuff I put out on ivermectin and everything else. But the minute Merck has a press release, there's like, there's one thing if, like, I don't know, one of these institutions did an independent study. They just eat out of their hands. Eat out of their hands. So I do want to get to our guest talking about ivermectin. Um, Very appropriate today. Uh, Our guest segment is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. For over 27 years, ADF has been standing up for religious liberty, sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights, America's highest courts. ADF does this all at no cost to their clients, completely funded by your generosity. So with basic biology under attack, faith, family, freedom, go to adflegal.org slash CRs and conservative review. Get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins with your tax-deductible donation. They need your help. They don't have deep pockets like the ACLU. Donate today, adflegal.org slash CR, adflegal.org slash CR. So our next guest is probably a name that most of you haven't heard of yet, but you really should, and you're going to love what he has to say. We've had a number of these doctors on who have treated this virus early. They've treated it since early on in the pandemic, and they've accrued amazing success, and their stories never get old. And the reason they never get old is because 
This is the biggest issue of our lifetime. This is the thing for which we destroyed our society when the solution was right there in front of us. And one of the points I made on in my column today is that we talk about, you know, we're talking about Malpervenero. They say it's 50% effective. Okay, whatever. Um, we have to trust them. They get to guard their own hen house. Fine. You know, ivermectin, we have some studies that it has even more. And then other things, 30, 40 but you know what's close to 100% effective? Having a competent doctor that puts it all together, looks at the patient, looks at the symptoms, looks at the timing, looks at your history, and prescribes the right cocktail of drugs for the right symptoms for the right person at the right time. That's Brian Tyson and George Fareed, the study that came that they have published in a preprint. And it shows basically anyone who came within that first week never went to the hospital. And this is true elsewhere. And one great story, there's um, this blog, a, a substack. It's called Rescue with Michael Capuzzo. Someone sent me this story over the weekend, how ivermectin saved Louis Gossett Jr. from dying of COVID-19. Um, he was he played the old Marine Corps drill instructor in an officer and a gentleman. He's an actor, a famous actor. And he has a story that resonates not so much because he's a famous guy, but because sadly we know that this has repeated itself hundreds of thousands of times. He says, I looked around the hospital room and I said, this, this might be my last room I'll be on, in on earth. Let me get out of here. So basically he just got up and he left the hospital. He was very sick. He was more than a week into the virus. And he somehow, through connections, got a hold of Dr. Bruce Boros, who is a cardiologist in the Florida Keys, but he owns urgent clinics. He owns three high-level advanced urgent care facilities in Florida Keys. And he's been practicing, again, in addition to cardiology, also internal medicine, for four decades. And this guy he found out was actually treating people. You know, it's a rare thing that you have a doctor that actually tries to uh, treat thrombosis and inflammation. Um, very novel these days. And he got treated with ivermectin and he was better so quickly. And he told his story. It's, it's an amazing story. So again, if you want to read it, uh, go to the Substack of rescue with Michael Capuzzo, how ivermectin saved Lewis gossip. But today we have even better. We have the man behind that story. Dr. Bruce Boros himself. Dr. Boros, thanks so much for joining us today. I thank you very much, Dan, for reaching out. Uh, we, uh, we've been on this uh, for quite a long time, uh, and I'm thrilled uh, to have this kind of a format. So thank you very much. I have a lot of information that people really need to hear. They do need to hear it. They do need to hear it. And I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that I didn't come across you earlier because, you know, um, Peter McCullough is also a brilliant cardiologist, but in addition to being a cardiologist, you own three urgent carers in, in Monroe County, Florida. So that is the front line. So you've had a number of patients. So could you talk about how this started with you treating people, treating them with ivermectin, how many patients you've um, seen with COVID, and what are your results? Yeah, the uh, the impetus for this really <clears throat> was uh, my practicing as a cardiovascular specialist in Key West, and uh, Key West was hit very hard, as everybody will remember, with uh, AIDS and HIV. 
and I was just starting to learn how to do a couple of podcasts uh, just to get information out uh, back in April. Uh, actually, I presented to our county com- city commission on March 3rd. They asked me to speak. I've been a well-known physician in the Lower Keys for a long time, and they asked me to speak about COVID. And uh, I was starting to research and learn about it because it was pretty novel for all of us. But knowing that having three urgent cares uh, now, I was going to be interacting. When I say I, I must say it's my staff, my providers, my people. Everybody worked together collaboratively to try to understand and deal with this very dangerous uh, disease that we were being faced with in a panicky situation in the beginning where we couldn't get uh, PPE, we couldn't protect ourselves. People were coming up having mild cases, thinking they had a little cold, but needing to have like a clearance for an operation. So I wanna give a lot of credit to the frontliners around the United States of America. All frontliners were in this situation not knowing how sick they potentially would become or might become. So as I presented to the commission, I said, this is dangerous, it's scary. Uh, We had a symptomatic carrier in Washington state, the first uh, nursing home victims, uh, the six people that died, silently uh, got the disease. I said, this is real, this is bad, it's going to be bad. I've been a doctor for a long time, seen a lot of things come and go. So I was actually just filming uh, a, a Facebook uh, piece and I was at the AIDS Memorial in Key West where there's if anybody's seen it there's hundreds and hundreds of names of the people that died before uh, we made so much progress and I was trying to give encouragement uh, to people who had watched us and say look all these people have been, have lost their lives but along the pathway there is a good there's a good outcome and to encourage people we're going to get to it we're going to get to it and I bumped into through something my wife, who's a great researcher, mentioned to me, a medication called ivermectin. Now this is like the end of end of March, but I'm filming in April, so it gave me some time to learn about it and see what was out there in the worldwide literature. And so I just again I put that piece up and I said, We're gonna get over this, we're gonna get through it, uh, just like we did with AIDS and HIV. And so that was kind of how I first mentioned it uh, in a public arena, knowing that with three urgent cares, I was going to have thousands of people in my county uh, that were going to need help. And I better dang well know what the heck I'm talking about. So that was uh, kind of the launch of the word ivermectin. And I think it was a a university study that was uh, uh, intended to be launched. Then I jumped into it and started seeing a couple of very uh, big observational studies that were done, particularly with Dr. Redondo in the Dominican Republic. Right after um, uh, I made that film, that video, I read his observations of 1,300 patients. He's a cardiologist, internist. He does have a home in South Miami, but resides in the Dominican. And what he was pointing out with the use of a drug that they were very familiar with, ivermectin, for parasites and parasitic diseases throughout the Caribbean was astounding in terms of this success, particularly this early on, that there was hope that 
people were using it, uh, starting with the with like Dr. Redondo, thirteen hundred patients reduction in death of people on ventilators by almost forty percent, ten day reduced hospital stays, all sorts of information that really picked my interest. Is oh my God, I really have got to jump all over this, and that kind of launched me into what I planned on doing for all people who came to our clinics, the advanced surgeon so, th- th- so that's kind of the clinical, the um, academic background that you looked into. I want to get into your clinical practice on ivermectin in a minute. Just a first a word from our sponsor. Um, folks, not so long ago, companies actually existed to provide products and services, not to sell an anti-American, anti-family agenda. Unfortunately, few companies exist like that anymore in America. Patriot Mobile is the only Christian conservative uh, wireless provider. They have the broadest nationwide coverage, so they use the same uh, towers as the major carriers. You don't have to worry about having spotty service. You could actually get solid service. By the way, with a 100% U.S.-based customer service team, which is very rare among these type of companies, so you could actually talk to someone on the same wavelength. Uh, more importantly, they share your values, and they actually support the Constitution, freedom, sanctity of life, veterans, and first responders. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT to get free activation with offer code CR. They have special discounts for veterans and first responders. Um, support a company that actually loves America, loves you, and shares traditional values. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR. That's patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their U.S.-based customer service 972-PATRIOT. All right, so we're talking with Dr. Bruce Boros, again, been practicing cardiology and internal medicine for four full decades, plus has three urgent cares in the Florida Keys. All right, so you're getting people coming with COVID in April, um, and people are getting sick. What are the things you saw, and whereas everyone else was like, don't come here if you test positive, or if they did, they'd kick you out. You didn't do that. What sort of diagnostics did you run? What sort of things did you look at, and then... Talk a little bit about the clinical use of ivermectin. Sure. So uh, basically, again, at that time, when I first mentioned um, ivermectin in April, um, uh, no, nobody was talking about it. Nobody mentioned it. It, it was almost taboo. Uh, and anything that might have been out there had been suppressed. Uh, we can talk about that later, uh, which is affecting the, the public greatly to not hear the truth of what's really happening to physicians and wondering why physicians, legislators, other people are not discussing this miracle drug. So um, uh, my people were as prepared as we could be. Uh, We had no stockpiles of PPE. I was going to Sherman Williams, Lowe's, Home Depot. Uh, I was getting I-95 masks. I was getting painter's gowns. Um, I was getting goggles, everything to prepare for this illness, which we knew very little about. And I can say, I've mentioned it many times, I feel our medical unleadership that we look to as physicians to give us guidance were eerily silent. And it became evident very quickly at that point, we were pretty much on our own. So uh, the whole idea here at that time was supportive treatment, wash, uh, wear masks, six foot, uh, but not not what kind of mask uh, other than for hospital personnel, N95. Everybody else would just get a mask, 
okay, uh, and then also distance uh, uh, to keep yourself away from, and just general guidelines to try to sp- stop spreading from one person to another. But there was no therapeutic out there. There was nothing that was being discussed about potential options in America when around the world a number of sub-Saharan countries, a number of the Caribbean uh, countries were talking about their utilization of this product, this ivermectin, low-cost, minimum uh, drug-drug interaction. Um, It was out there. They were showing successes, and I said to myself, I said, oh, my God, we got nothing really to treat people with. We're not getting any guidance on how to move forward with therapeutics, and so I then felt after reading uh, a, a lot of materials that as a doctor, I have a Hippocratic oath and there was nothing else out there. This is a pill, a medication that we treat uh, babies with pinworms. Uh, we treat scabies and lice with it, the pediatricians, and yep. uh, family practitioners. It seemed incredibly safe. I'm going, why the heck are we not considering this as an, a therapeutic option? And if I got sick, would I take it? And after researching it, like I said, I said, if, when I get the opportunity, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to recommend it. And that opportunity actually came to me uh, personally. We were treating people. We were testing people, but treating them with standard of care, which was go home till you can't think right, till your lips turn blue, till you're coughing up a lung, uh, your, till your oxygen saturation is 70, and then go Jeez. to a hospital so you can be put on a ventilator and unfortunately die. And just north of us at, in Broward County, uh, I'll mention that while I was doing the prep to get started on an outpatient basis, I want to give a big kudos to the Ratchers yeah. uh, who, um, who brought on board uh, their protocol in ventilated patients, highest risk, 80% mortality at that time. They basically created a protocol with ivermectin being added to standard of care, and they dropped the death rates in ventilated patients by 40% ventilated. with ivermectin being added. Ventilated, ventilated patients. patients, yeah. So you're talking about doctors, um, uh, Jean-Jacques Radscher and, and Juliana, husband and wife pulmonologist right. team in, in Broward County, and they really were were using it in April. Oh, great, they were groundbreaking. They were great story behind it. They yeah. were brave. They were brave, and they recruited about, I think it was about 189 patients uh, for their study, and the results were so incredibly inspiring. Uh, it, it really was uh, the further complementary thing uh, in terms of how I was thinking. What do I, my job is, like with doctor, a lot of the doctors that were, we were seeing the death and the destruction of COVID in hospital, the drama, blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't want my patients winding up in their, those doctors' hands. Not that they weren't competent. I just don't want my patients in the hospital. So I said, what do I have to lose? The Helsinki Accord of 1964 says when you have no treatment available, we're talking therapeutics here. We had no therapeutic uh, treatment for these people, and they were just progressing down the cascade towards ventilation and death. So I said, looked at all of the parameters. We're in the Helsinki Accord. You don't have therapeutics. You have a couple observational studies showing this is cost-effective. It's safe. 
minimum drug-to-drug interventions go right to human utilization. So could you and talk about your your first experience and then your record since then with it, and and also if this worked even with patients that had serious uh, underlying conditions? Oh, this was incredible. So um, we the first patient I treated, um, if people go to uh, my Facebook, it's just Bruce Boros. Um, I've interviewed him. I've, I've done uh, probably 62-hour podcasts from little old Key West. So that's why you know, you're saying, hey, this guy's been doing it, but nobody's heard. Well, I'm down at the very end of uh, the United States, but I was trying to get the message out any way that I could. So Kyle Carter, uh, I can say his name, uh, he came, he's 6'5", 300 pounds. He is a brilliant guy, works for the Songwriter Festival. This wasn't a dummy, but he was ravaged by COVID. He, uh, I did a CAT scan. When I say high-level urgent cares, our urgent cares have CAT scanners and ultrasound and blah, 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 stuff that you know most urgent cares don't have. Mm. I'm just saying I'm distinct in the way that I set this up to help people cost-wise and diagnostically. He had 60% of his lungs were filled with COVID infiltrates. And I looked at him and I said, Kyle, I don't, there's no treatment for you. You're going to wind up on a ventilator and a guy as big as you being on a ventilator, it's going to probably have a very bad outcome over a long period of time. I said, but I have been researching this medication, ivermectin. I'm prepared to use it on myself. And how about you? Here's the potential side effect. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But he couldn't even say three words without coughing up a lung. How many, how, many days was, how many days was he into this? He was seven days into it. Got it. And there was early on when he was sick, nobody really knew how to treat this. Earlier on, um, he had been given some steroids when you don't give steroids. So his immune system may have been somewhat suppressed because of very early utilization. Mm. He was getting sicker. He said, I can't take these pills. I'm getting sicker on early steroid use. We know the later stages when the inflammation was occurring, it would have been, would be the time. But regardless, he was about, uh, he was about six, uh, six, seven days into this. Um, and I said, Kyle, you got to go into the hospital. He's get some oxygen. He was spiking fevers to 103, all his muscles hurt. And I'm, you know, being a heart doctor, I've been in the ICU my whole life, one way or the other. And I said to myself, this guy's not going to make it. And he's telling me he's not going to make it. So I said, here's the dose. I've made up a protocol based upon all my readings. And you need, at that point, I said, I'm going to give you 0.4 milligrams per kilogram and, and, and vitamins and some of the other stuff. And I put him in the hospital. I called the chief of staff and I called the admitting doctor. And I said, I, the man has consented, agreed. I want to give him the ivermectin. So his manager brought it over. He was in the hospital and it sat there on the bedside stand for four hours. I'm calling him. I said, did they give it? Did they give it? He says, no, they're arguing about whether they're going to give it or not. Hey, what's new? Here we are. They're still playing this game. So I said, Kyle, just take nine pills. I'll call you in two hours. I called him back. I said, how do you feel? He's still coughing. He says, something's happening. Something's happening with me, quote, unquote. And people can listen to the interview. Um, And I said, okay, take nine more pills. Okay, now we're up to um, uh, like 18. Now we're at 18. So 56 milligrams, which which sounds a lot. Oh, 54. It sounds like a lot. It sounds a lot, but for a guy that big. Right. And, and the dosage for the listening public is 
toxic dose in my reading is 2,000 times the dose we're using <laughs> to make somebody toxic from this medication. Okay, the research, chemical analysis, things I've read from people who report on these things. Cancer studies, yeah. 2,000 times the dose. You can't make somebody toxic from this drug, this medication. Safest drug on the planet. So he takes now the next nine pills, and I called him. And this is like five hours into his getting into the hospital. And he could talk to me like we're talking now. Now this, I, I swear, I mean, it was why where it was my moment where I said, oh my God, this really could be a miracle. He was talking to me. He said, I feel really good. I have no more fevers. My muscles are starting to feel normal. I feel really good. I said, okay, take the last couple of pills, which he did. And in the morning I called him. He was speaking perfectly normally, no more fevers. He said, I feel fine. They're letting me go home. This is 18 hours. And a guy who I would have bet you a thousand dollars if if he didn't get this therapy, he would have been on a ventilator within two or three hours, breathing 32 times a minute, and saying to me, "I'm going to die, doc. I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I'll take anything." So after informed consent, full disclosure, it was a no-brainer. There was nothing else, and I only used the ivermectin and some basic vitamins zinc and and um at that time a z-pack a z-pack so you did yeah you did the antibiotics right away um and it worked so what what have you seen do you have any statistics for us rough you know just rough statistics from your three urgent cares what you've seen over the past year okay so basically the the original the wild type uh the original um uh, covid it was very it was pretty easy to treat Okay, so what I did is I started collating my data in January of this year of 325 patients. So what was I actually doing as this uh, kind of like lone voice in, in, in the wild here in America is I was looking at uh, what everybody was doing around the world. I concocted what I felt was a very safe protocol to use. And by, um, uh, by September, the beginning of September, I, was, I started a program called Test and Treat. I said, anybody who walks in who has any symptoms, because this is a viral illness, it happens to be a very virulent one in certain people, I said to the crews, test them and treat them. Why? Because it was taking six, seven, eight days to get results back. And by that time, you're either on a ventilator or you're through the disease. I found that treating them immediately when they came in, I didn't have a hospitalization. I got up to three, the first 325 that we treated, I analyzed in a post hoc, uh, not test, but we called them with uh, five questions and none of the patients were hospitalized. Out of the 325, um, uh, there were two that went to the ER, got some uh, uh, just supportive treatment and, and were not admitted. But in that breakdown, uh, one-third of them had COVID. Now, why am I saying something that sounds kind of silly? Because ivermectin's an antiviral. We, and, and I proved it in this because everybody felt better in 24 yep. to 48 hours. Nobody got sick. It was treating every virus that these people were walking in with. The 105 that had COVID, nobody hospitalized, 
all of them better. And oh, wait a minute. That went over my head. That So just for our listeners, in case they didn't pick up on what you just said, you're saying that – so because it took so long, especially last year, for the positive results to come back or negative positive – um, so, you know, not everyone was positive. Some had other viruses, colds and different things. You're exactly. saying this but had broad waiting. spectrum that it worked even for people that were COVID negative, but had whatever. Bingo. Everybody said, wow, I feel great. I feel great. And the correlate of that is we have been using Tamiflu as physicians forever in the flu season. If you get the symptoms, take this, but you got to do it in the first 72 hours. And, oh, what a miracle. It works if you take it in the first 72 hours for general uh, flu-like illnesses. And that's a separate discussion. So here we are. I'm saying I'm not waiting for a test to come back. I'm not waiting six days because those are the people that were falling off the cliff, going into the hospital, being put on ventilators, supportive treatment until death. So I said to, to my crews, my, my fellows in my businesses, uh, we all work as teams, treat them. Don't wait. Treat them. Here's a protocol. Test them. Send a specimen out because at that time we didn't have immediate turnaround on any testing. Uh, so the bottom line was I wasn't waiting. So all those patients that I tested and treated same day, after I got up to 325 of those patients who took the ivermectin, I called them all. And I, we put them through a questionnaire, and even the 200, let's say, uh, the two-thirds that did not have COVID. Remember, I'm starting to treat. I needed to wait five or six days to get, sometimes eight days to get results back. I called everybody. Nobody was admitted. The two-thirds that did not have COVID, they all got better with ivermectin. And not one pneumonia. Viral. Yeah, not one pneumonia out of it, because um, typically you'll get a pneumonia Nothing. out of some of these uh, viruses. And, okay, so that's that's what you did then. Now, I want to get to some practical advice, but before then, just one more word on, on, on your kind of record of treatment. So I really want to talk about the here and now Let's let's call it July, the July monster. Everyone knows you're in Florida. Florida got hit very bad, and and um, you know I I have my suspicions that the leaky vaccination about six months after had something to do with that, some sort of phenomenon of a leaky vaccine syndrome that made this more virulent, not just more transmissible, but we started seeing younger people, less comorbidities, no comorbidities, get very sick from this. Now, I want to hear your testimony because from some doctors, they're into throwing in the kitchen sink, they're concerned that ivermectin wasn't enough um, for the this new viral load or whatever you want to call it that we're seeing people get to the inflammatory stage quicker and i'm certainly seeing that and a lot of them will throw in hydroxy and ivermectin out of the gate together they'll throw in a couple of asthma drugs or phenofibrate and and they say really this is this has become a little bit harder to treat um are you seeing that and if not what is your secret sauce okay well yes um actually i'm a member of the flccc the uh, Frontline COVID-19 uh, Critical Care Committee. 
I hybridized myself into that to stop confusion amongst patients. And their protocol for early treatment was pretty straightforward in terms of the number of uh, uh, vitamins to take, the quantity, how to take them to boost your immune system, along with the ivermectin protocol, which at that time was 0.2 milligrams per kilogram over the course of three to five days. And so the lead uh, doctor in that is Dr. Pierre Corey, has my greatest respect. We've become great friends. We were talking. He called me up and he said, man, there's something different about Delta. Now, remember, Corey's working inside the hospitals. I am trying to keep people away from Pierre and Dr. Merrick and the doctors in the ICUs. My whole mantra is I don't want you to ever have those guys as your doctor. That means you're in the hospital sick. So Pierre calls me and we're talking. I said, look, man, I'm having a difficult time. I'm having to move to steroids quicker. Um, you know, I'm adding some of this new Fluvox uh, where a couple papers came out and Steve Kirsch talked about those. And But I am having a harder time. And he said he's finding the same thing. So about a month and a half ago, the protocol, the good thing about the FLCCC is they're very, um, they're very uh, active. You know, they're not static. And so as new papers come in from around the world, this is a group of 120 not-for-profit doctors who have written over 2,000 published peer-reviewed articles in their lifetimes who kept banded together to try to stop the pandemic. And they've been suppressed, they've been beat up, and they continue to forge through this. So I said, Pierre, I, I got to use a higher dose. And he says, yeah, we need to give it more frequently. So now where we're at with ivermectin is for the people that are in the inflammatory stage in particular, because you've got to treat them before the cytokine response where the body's attacking itself. Um, it's now uh, twice a week, and I use 0.4 milligrams per, per kilogram uh, for when they have it for five days in a row or longer if needed, along with the addition of uh, Fluvox within the next 24 hours, and then at that point, high, high doses of steroids. The Decadron at six milligrams, which is the standard, like the only other approved That's a dexamethasone medication. for people that don't yeah, that know about that. Yeah, right. Yeah, which which you know was good and it came out. Uh, to be helpful, that's the only uh, therapeutic aside from remdesivir. And they, they're doing six killing, milligrams. Delivering kidneys in people. Okay, so this is this is where now I started to say with Pierre, we got more aggressive. So he wanted to see what what was happening before he wound up getting the patients toxically ill in the hospital. So the the changes occurred. They spoke amongst their personal group of physicians, and that's why the the dosage uh, uh, is now twice a week and a little bit higher. And if somebody's toxic, they, wait, wait, twice a week. Wait, 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 wait. Are you but talking about prophylactic? Thing, Dan. Are you talking about prophylactic? No, no, this, this is toxic. These are people that have COVID. So, so wait, is it? So it was originally. Let me just. I would want to make it make sure our audience understands this. So originally, it was 0.2 mg per kg twice a week, and now it's 0.4 five days straight. Yes. yes. Got it. Okay. Oh, anywhere from three to five days or longer based upon the clinical response, along with a number of other things uh, that were added, a, a few other things that were added in the early treatment pro protocol. So we started offering prophylaxis, 
okay, which um, is another topic. But again, I've been on prophylactic therapy with my wife for 15 months. And as the FLCC guidelines change, we change from where it was, you know, originally um, every two weeks, then it became once a week, uh, and then it became twice a week. Um, so you and do that's twice a, a week prophylactic, and you do 0. 0.2 prophylactically, right? Yeah, I do 0. 0.2 milligrams per kilogram twice on a week. And Thursdays. And twice you are telling Mondays and Thursdays, and you're telling me that you're an urgent care doctor. You got three facilities there. You're around COVID, and and, and so you're telling me. I, w- I want to make sure our audience understands this. You are in South Florida during the July August beast. Whatever that was going on there, it was really bad. Um, and you never caught COVID. I never had COVID. My wife has never had COVID. A number of my friends who made their own personal decision, which by the Nuremberg Code, they have a right to do about what gets put into their body, particularly when you've got lines of 200 cars. There's no time for informed consent, proper informed consent. It's just get a jab and move on, uh, and then get the second one. We have never had COVID. I test. If I get in a high-risk situation, where, uh, and I've been in quite a few, I do not have COVID. I've never had COVID. I w- will actually use bar soap, which, you know, be just plain old soap, um, uh, and I'll clean my nostrils out, and I'll gargle with Listerine or Scope uh, because of some of the uh, chemicals in there kill uh, the, the virus. So now I'm protecting where the vast majority of people get the ACE2 receptor binding to the virus is your nasopharynx and your throat. And so I'm, I'm protecting my nasopharynx when I'm in a high risk situation. Uh, you got budesonide, a variety of things. I am COVID negative. I check monthly. And I you are 72 years old. Yeah. Yeah, 72. So so obviously you are at an elevated risk given your age, and, and this has worked for yeah, you. I've had a coronary stent. I've had a coronary stent mm. also uh, five years ago, and I'm a little bit overweight because um, I haven't been able to exercise as much, and I'm busy working. But the bottom line is I would fall into a little bit higher risk category. So, so I want to I want to be clear because I'm I'm sorry sorry to cut you off there we're almost out of time I want to be and I want to get to your the the practical advice um, I want to just be clear about the protocols that despite whatever is going on with this virus moving quicker maybe a higher viral load um, some degree of enhancement going on you're saying that once the FLCC updated and you're going to more 0.4 sometimes they'll even do 0.6 but you're doing 0.4 and you're saying that as long as you do it every day you're doing you know consecutive days which i hear most people are doing now you're saying that is holding up although if someone already got into some inflammation their sats are down you come in with a nice dose of methylprednisolone that's the m in the eye mask protocol and that and that's working very specifically i take ivermectin prophylactically twice a week that's their prophylactic protocol from the FLCC. I now take 0.2 milligrams per kilogram, 5,000 of D, 1,000 of C, uh, 50 milligrams of zinc. I gargle, and that's and I and I get exercise. I get my exercise in, and I've been healthy as a horse. Knock on wood. I take it twice a week, every Monday and Thursday, but I have been on the old prophylactic protocols 
set for 15 months. Mm. I checked my blood work. I'm in good shape. I've never had COVID. I'm in and out of three centers, seven days a week, in and out. I see other patients, certain sicker patients uh, that I've treated, very sick patients, uh, and pulled them really out of the emergency room door by putting them on a very aggressive protocol, which when you get COVID, you move into a different modality of treatment. Prophylactic twice a week. If you get COVID, I flip you over to five days, at least five days of therapy based upon 0.4 milligrams per kilogram. Some of the other things, the next day, if you're not feeling better, I had 25 of Fluvox, no caffeine when you're taking Fluvox, as long as they're not on another SSRI. And then literally with this variant, this Delta, if on the three, third day, they're not getting better, I'm hitting them with 32 milligrams of methylprednisolone for at least three days. So methylpreg or prednisone, but higher. And you believe that works better than dexamethasone? Yes. And there's articles that will substantiate that methylpreg is a better anti-inflammatory. Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and obviously the hospitals, unfortunately, aren't touching that. Um, We're almost out of time. The final question is the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and that is – you know, you talk about all this prophylaxis and you talk about, you know, these things come in three milligrams. And, you know, I look even my family, which we're all kind of on the on the shorter side and don't weigh that much. Even then, there's no way I would be able to for at this point, I, I wouldn't be able to have my wife and I uh, prophylax. We would blow our wad. And then even if we got it, if the whole family got it with all the kids, we, we wouldn't have enough on hand. How do people, and this is the biggest question I get asked, I mean, how do they get a hold of it? Well, here, here's a couple of tips, and hopefully the listeners will write this down, okay? Uh, if they uh, need to have a telemedicine help because a local doctor is not helping them, and if your local doctor is not helping you, try to find a local doctor that will, that understands this and is not afraid. Doctors are being fearful, they're losing their jobs, they're being threatened with the fact that their charts are going to be reviewed because they're ordering ivermectin uh, too frequently or whatever, whoever made up this standard to go after doctors to keep us suppressed and fearful and afraid so that ivermectin is not capturing uh, more utilization uh, because it works. It absolutely works. Um, People uh, can uh, go to Lung Center of America. That's Lung Center of America. Dr. Fred Wagshul, he's an original member of the FLCC. He's a, a lung specialist, pulmonologist, internist, set up for a te- telephone consultation, telemed, and he will find, uh, he will write the prescription for you. Uh, and um, it's best to find a local pharmacy that's a mom and pop because we're getting a lot of pushback from the big box chains, even though they're denying that they're involved with the uh, filling prescriptions or not. We have way too much information for people saying they refuse. They're not giving it to me. You have to write a diagnosis on here. Things that we've never heard before, it's occurring. And then I'd also like to say that just this morning, I'm going to read you a statement, very brief, from a very high-up individual uh, at Edenbridge Pharmaceuticals. Quote, there has been a significant 
increase in the demand for ivermectin, but Edenbridge Pharmaceuticals continues to supply the market, unquote. It is a lie that's being perpetuated at a much higher level uh, than, than many of us realize uh, because people aren't going into this to, in the depth, but there is no shortage of ivermectin. There is no shortage. So, is, so you're saying... Uh, it is a statement that's not true. You're saying if the insurance companies and would play ball and the big box places that take good RX would play ball, this would be very cheap and abundant. But the problem now is that, A, you've got to find a doctor and often pay a lot of money to, to, to get him. And then, then you got to find a mom-and-pop store, which... The insurance isn't covering now, and then often they don't take good RX, so then you kind of get screwed. But really, the supply is there at the wholesale side. Yes, absolutely, the supply is there, and everybody should encourage their mom and pop to go to sales at, and there's nothing in this for me, okay? I just want people yep. to know where to get it and be treated. Sales at Eden Bridge, E-D-E-N Bridge pharma.com and set up your accounts all the mom and pops i have island pharmacy here in monroe county they have a whole wall full of ivermectin and this is where people will drive an hour and a half if they need to it's a mile marker 90 so you may have to drive 90 miles or (laughs) they have now made arrangements to send prescriptions uh filled uh prescriptions down to key west because that's 90 miles away but they are supplying the county. So again, there is, I believe, some collusive actions that are going on. I maybe, I think, you know, we have to be very careful how we even talk. So many doctors now are getting letters because if you're prescribing so much ivermectin, we may be coming to evaluate your charts and your practice. Can you imagine our profession, which is being destroyed? destroyed by this particular money making issue wow that is incredible 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 story again thanks for joining us today thanks for all your work please keep us updated may god continue to give you the strength and and the success in in saving lives and let's get this message out again folks it's a lung center for america.com is uh fred wagshell he's a he's a pulmonologist uh, so I, I believe he charges about two hundred dollars. Um, again, it's better right. than it's better than nothing, folks. The ideal would be that your your primary care physician would do it, but you know they're not. So this might be something to check find out. Another one. Find and, another. If they're not going to take care, of you find another doctor who will hopefully be on board. We're to, this is changing from a grassroots level. People like you who are getting the information out about what's really going on. The things you're saying are the things that have been suppressed by social media. Let me just say the two final things. Trusted, the news initiative was established between the White House and go online. People can see it. White House, social media, CNN, uh, uh, BBC, and other outlets. We only talk good about the vaccine. Everything that's not good about it or any alternative will not be presented to the public. America is the only place of the seven, there's 79 countries. Japan is, is mass handing it out and mass significant drops in yes. their uh, infection rates. Utter Pradesh, 
the final thing I would like to say, and I know I'm trying to jam it in, please be thoughtful about your children. Please be thoughtful about your kids. This this um, injection is a lifetime injection you're giving. It is. A lifetime. You could always call up one of these doctors, including, uh, you know, obviously uh, Dr. Boros, and, and get this treated. The virus could get treated. Um, there is no treatment yet for the spike protein and what it does to you, although there are those that are taking ivermectin for it, but, you know, we don't know all the things it does to you. Um, again, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your work and looking forward to having you back again. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org chosen. And folks, that about does it for our show today and for this week. Um, I, again, I just want to reiterate, as I'm talking to you, Fauci said he's very you know, enthralled by what he's seeing from Merck and Malprivenaire. Listen to the heart of a guy like this. He's 72 years old. He's at the end of his career. Is no fame, no nothing. But on the other hand, he does have three urgent care clinics, so I'm sure he's done well for himself. He has no, there's no money to be made. There's no dog in the fight. You hear it in his voice. These are real human beings. Do you trust a guy like that more, or do you trust the bastards at Merck? I mean, really? Again, now, it's definitely expensive. That's for sure. Um, does it work as well as ivermectin and even better, as they would say, and, and not have the side effects? Could be, but do we know that at this point? And the fact that they're circling the wagon, something really smells. And I'm getting a lot more information on that, too. So we'll talk about that next week as well. Send this show to every one of your friends and relatives. Um, again, lungcenterforamerica.com. He, he doesn't get a cut out of this. This is a guy he just knows, Dr. Fred Wagshell, pulmonologist. It does cost $200, and the ivermectin is going to cost. But, I mean, for those that don't have it's, – it's zero versus that, and you're worried about getting the virus, you know – I mean, we're worried about a lot of things in life. A few hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars. It's a shame it has to be like this. It shouldn't be this way. Every PCP that you're already using, that you're covered for whatever you already pay, with insurance, whatever you use, should be done. And ivermectin should be pennies um, if we would only allow Eden Bridge's supply that they already have, um, and mu much less the fact that you could produce it at any time to, to come to market. But this is, this is the world we live in. We're trying to save as many lives as possible. Stay safe, stay informed, make sure everyone hears this show. Till next week, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.